So we're going to get back to James 6 next week. We're going to take a little break this week. Uh, as you probably know, if not, this might be a surprise to you. Today is the day that is commonly known as Easter. Uh, it is more commonly known in Reformed churches as Resurrection Sunday, uh, a day where we focus on the glorious resurrection of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Uh, and the truth is, right, in, in a very real sense, every Sunday is a day in which God's people gather together and we celebrate the fact that Jesus has been risen from the dead. Uh, and we do that, right? But, but there's also something really encouraging about this day every year to know that so many fellow Christians across this entire globe from different cultures speaking in different languages that are singing these songs to the Lord to different tunes, um, that, that we know that, that these people we're going to know for the rest of our eternity, right, are all focusing on the same moment in history, the same event, the same glorious reality, the same point that is kind of the proving point of our faith and our hope, the, the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross, and three days later, his resurrection from the dead. That's what we celebrate. And, and a big part of that is because you and I, hopefully this is not news to you also, you and I will die. Right? There's your uplifting message for the morning. You and I will die. That's the, that's the reality of being living people, of humanity. That's what we face. But we who believe in the gospel know that we will be resurrected from the dead to eternal life when, when, when God, uh, with God when Jesus returns. And we look forward to that day. And, and I say that so you understand this. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is of utmost importance. You throw that out, nothing else matters. It is of absolute utmost importance. And that's why there is so much focus on the resurrection and the, and, and, and the life of the church and as Christians and the scripture. Um, now I'll tell you this. For nine years, we, we've been gathering on this day since we planted the church back in 2013. And, I, I, and every single one of those, I'm preached on one of the gospel accounts of the resurrection or, or when Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul mentions it in one of his letters. This year... We are celebrating the resurrection. We are. You'll even hear it in, in the sermon. But I actually want to draw your attention to a different passage today in the life and the ministry of, of Jesus. One, one that I think will actually challenge you where you're at right now to, to reconsider your relationship with the Lord or, or, or your commitment to the Lord. If I had to put it in, in one word, I, I'd say that this passage is a, a call to renewal, right? Uh, to remember your love for Jesus. To remember your hope in Jesus, for that to, to be renewed, or, or maybe to experience for the first time if you haven't. And, and so make your way over to the Gospel of John, chapter 6, and I do, I want you to have it open before you, because we're going to be popping around in chapter 6 of John, you won't have to turn much, maybe a page, right? Um, and, and as you're going there, let me just set the context for you so you understand what's going on here. Uh, the night before, Jesus is in the wilderness outside of cities. He's with his disciples. But on this day, they, they enter into the town of Capernaum. And, and Capernaum, if you've ever seen the map, right, you've got the little lake and the river and a big lake or a bigger lake up top. Uh, it's the northern lake, right? The, the Sea of Galilee, it's called. It's just a big lake, though. It's not a sea. Um, that's where they're at, on the north shore of that. And the crowds of, of of those who have been called disciples of Jesus, this mass of people that have been following him around like a bunch of groupies, they have been so excited to see Jesus doing these miracles. Maybe they're receiving bread, right? Uh, and and, and they, maybe they're thinking, oh, he's going to turn water to wine again. Let's be around in case that happens, right? All sorts of things. They're seeing Jesus. They have hope in Jesus. And they begin to ask him all these questions. And, and one of his answers that is kind of an extended answer is incredibly 
disturbing to many of those disciples. I'll, I'll read it word for word, and you tell me if you can figure out why this bothered this mass of disciples that are following him. This is from John 6:53. if you want to follow. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. You figure it out, right? The Donner party's back there, like, I don't see a problem with this. But everyone else sees a problem, right? Because it sure sounds like, like Jesus is suggesting cannibalism. Like, literally, come and eat my flesh and drink my, my blood. That's weird. That's disgusting sounding. It's even creepy if we're going to be honest about it. And it turns out, unsurprisingly, right, the cannibalism is not the most effective church growth message. The result of Jesus' teaching is that many, right, probably most of the crowd are turning away and they're going away. They're saying, if this is what you're saying, if this is the words out of your mouth, you're teaching what you're calling to us, we're out of here. No longer willing to follow Jesus. Now let's, let's read our passage. This is from John 6. We're going to begin in verse... Verse 60 here. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is no greater reality than the historical truth that Jesus rose from the grave to live eternally. May we believe that. May we remember that every day, every single Lord's Day, when we gather together, may we rest in that glorious truth this day, even as we look at this passage that puts all that Jesus is for us into perspective. This morning we ask that you'd enlighten our minds to understand this passage, renew our love this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to look at this passage then. Uh, first thing, just for clarity, let me point this out. When we see the word... Uh, disciples in this. I know sometimes we want to think that's the 12. It's not. The disciples is the mass. Anyone who's been following Jesus and the term the 12 that we'll see in the second portion, second half, that's actually referring to the 12, the ones you know, Peter and James and Thomas and, and so on. So uh, now then after Jesus' strange teaching, some disciples who are clearly out of earshot at this time, they're, they're gathered together and, and they're grumbling. They are complaining about what Jesus is teaching. In fact, John here summarizes all their complaining with a single quote. He says, this is a hard saying. Who can handle it? Or who can listen to it? Which is really just a nice way of saying, no one's going to listen to this crazy stuff. Listen to him, right? 
And, and Jesus knows that they're complaining. And, and whether this is by some supernatural ability of our Lord or, or, or the same way that you and I can look across a room and see a group of people and just know they're complaining about something, right? Someone, maybe me. And, and so Jesus then addresses this whole thing head on in, 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 in verse 61. And, and then when you see the word you there in verse 61, that's, that's plural. Uh, Jesus is, is asking this, right? He's from the southern tribes of Israel. So he asks, do y'all take offense at this? Probably without the accent. And, and by this, Jesus means the teaching that sounds like cannibalism, right? Do you take offense at the words that I've been saying here? Which, which I will explain in a bit. But, but first, but before they answer, Jesus references his, uh, his eternal presence in, uh, with God the Father before he was born in, in human flesh. And, and with this, Jesus is saying, if you really understood who I am, where I've come from, if you really knew that, you would trust the things I am saying. You would want to understand the things I'm saying, not to walk away from them. And then over the next few verses, Jesus teaches them how eternal life, how true faith is, is not by intellect or mere, mere autonomous just decision, right? But, but given by the Holy Spirit a gift. We're not going to go into this deeply, but we don't take faith and salvation. We receive faith. We receive salvation. You understand then that all spiritual renewal begins and ends with God. That's why Jesus says here in verse 63 that the flesh is no help at all. In other words, Jesus is explaining that his goal is, is not to gather the masses. Right? It had been easy for his disciples to think, oh, things are going bad. Look what's happening. People are leaving. Uh, he's explaining here, right, that his answers aren't designed to convince people to like him or to follow him. He's, he's not aiming to be the next influencer where he can get free stuff mailed to his house, right? By, by putting out content that appeases the masses, he's speaking truth. And, and those who the Holy Spirit gives life to will receive his words. They will receive Jesus, even if his words make them a little uncomfortable. And, and that's what they're experiencing on this day. It's, it's God the Father who sovereignly and mercifully grants salvation. And, and so then in this next paragraph, let's just jump ahead to there, right? Verse 60, uh, 66. Some people aren't going to like that, right? John 6, 66. Uh, this is honestly one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, and I've never taught on it, never preached on it. It, it hits me emotionally. I, I love it because it's that Samwise going into the river after Frodo moment. It, it's that that tender rawness of, of, of what is love for and faith in Jesus Christ. And, and so try to picture that, right? Try to imagine this as real because it is real. We're looking at history here. Thousands have been following Jesus, being fed. They're, they're learning and, and seeing the miracles he's doing and thinking, who is this man? Look at the amazing thing he's doing. They have their own ideas of what they think Jesus is going to, to do for them, for their nation. They, they expect this man's going to finally bring our good nation of Israel back to prominent power. Right? But as he's been teaching this day, it's, it's being passed back. There weren't microphones. And, and so the, the message would go back and back and back through people. And, 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 and we now read this. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Can you picture the faces of disgust in that moment as they hear the words from his mouth? Can you, can you see the backs of heads just just shaking as they, they wander away, giving up this hope that, that Jesus might be the, the, the one they thought he might be, the political or military leader, or just a guy that's going to do some amazing things. You can almost hear them saying, you know, one to another, let's go home. And while there might be sorrow in our Lord, we see no sign of bitterness, no angry shouts at the departing masses. We don't see that. 
And I find it intriguing here that it doesn't seem to bother Jesus that they're turning away, rejecting his words, that they're, they're rejecting him. It's important for us to notice that, that Jesus doesn't change his teaching because of this. He doesn't even say, well, come back, let me explain, you, you misunderstood, right? He doesn't change anything because of the people's rejection. He doesn't dilute it. He, he doesn't go and consult with some public relations specialist to, to craft a message that's more appealing, right? Jesus, instead of saying, eat my flesh, maybe come alongside me or something like that. There, there's none of that. He doesn't do that. Now, now, you, Christian, you're called to share the gospel, the gospel that you believe. You're, you're called to live out what the Lord teaches in his word, to pursue that, May we also not give in to the temptation to dilute God's word, to, to make it more appealing to our, to our own hearts even, or, or to other people. Learn now that God's word is a means of grace that is powerful. And trust the Holy Spirit will bring the lost to faith. He will. We are messengers of the gospel. We are not salesmen and saleswomen of the gospel. We are messengers, faithful messengers. And so then Jesus asked this, this heart-wrenching question, do you want to go away as well? He's asking this to the twelve. Right? By, by all accounts, the people closest to Jesus, the people most committed to Jesus, and he's asking that question, do you want to go as well, away as well? You ever pondered that question in your own heart? Do, do I really want to follow Jesus? Or do I really want to keep following Jesus? Do, do I want to be known as a Christian? Do I want to live for God, to seek obedience to God's word? When, when, when so many around us think it's just some silly old story or some, some outdated, you know, ethical system. And so to you, each of you, I ask, do, do you want to go away as well? What would you even go back to? Peter and the other eleven may have wrestled with that question just as those who departed did. Some of you have been gifted with such incredibly solid faith that, that believing is so easy for you. Praise the Lord for that. But, but you can't even understand how anyone could wrestle with that. But, but others of you are, are wrestling against doubts, against leaving. You know, that's, that's part of, of your story of how God is working in your heart, working in your life. If that's you, I, I want to help you here for a moment. And, and so seriously, to, to whom would you go? Would you go to a culturally conjured up view of God that denies that sin's even a problem? Everyone should just do whatever they want to do? A, a God who will unjustly render no judgment to anyone for anything? All the atrocities of history, including my own sin, cannot be swept under the rug. As John Piper has said, mere forgiveness without the broken-hearted embrace of some kind of massive atonement will not satisfy my conscience or the justice of God. In other words, would you stake your soul on a false God who cannot save even if he existed? So to whom would you go? To a political leader or a political party hoping that, you know what, if we get the votes this time, the, we can legislate to these rebellious hearts to, that, you know, so that they can adhere to this vision of, of your dream nation? Is that what you'd turn to? To whom would you go? Right? To a hopeless philosophy of atheism or agnosticism that, that calls you to find your own meaning or, or, or just resigns to the fact that life is meaningless until we're buried with the worms? And so to whom would you go? To religious legalism? Or dead moralism that characterized the lives of so many of us before 
finding rest for our weary souls in the finished work of Christ upon the cross? Where do you go, right? Unrestrained autonomy, momentary hedonism. I mean, that's kind of the point, right? Where else would you go? But before we go any further, I do want to take a moment and explain those, those cannibalism-sounding-like words. I, uh, right? As it, I think it'll help you understand why Peter responds the way he responds. And, you know, instead of, you know, uh, Jesus, we're not going to eat you. We can't do this. You're right? Instead of, instead of the way he answered. Now, again, Jesus is disturbingly said this. Let me remind you, John 6, 53, if you got it open. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true blood and my blood, or true food, and my blood is true drink. Now I know, immediately you want to think, oh, that's about the Lord's Supper. Yeah, that's what it's about. And you're like, I'm good now. I can just, I feel good about what Jesus is saying. It's the Lord's Supper. It's not about the Lord's Supper. Not directly. Um, in John 6, the Lord's Supper hasn't occurred yet, right? That wouldn't mean anything to him. Maybe... Maybe he's foreshadowing it, right? Uh, but every time that Jesus speaks of the Lord's Supper, he says of the bread, this is my, what's he say? You know this, body. This is my body. He never says, this is my flesh, which is what he actually says here. So what is Jesus actually speaking about here? Well, here's the thing. Food and water are necessary for life. Hopefully you figured that out. You're here, so I'm assuming someone in your life at least figured that out. Uh, if you don't have those, you die. And Jesus is comparing himself to, to food and drink here. Now, so much of our food comes prepackaged in bright little things, right, with nutritional information on the back, but we never think about where they actually come from. You know, what, where does this food come from? Most of your food comes from something that has to die. And I say most because there's always the contrarian out there that's like, well, what about cheese? No one died with cheese. You're right. There are some exceptions, right? So I say most. But, but yes, right, a, a pig had to be slaughtered for your BLT. But also the living plants of tomato and lettuce, right, had to be plucked up, severed from their root, killed so that you can eat them. For, for you to live, something else must die to feed you. And again, <clears throat> this is true of cows, it's true of wheat, and so on. And Jesus is comparing himself to food to show that he must die for you to live eternally. <clears throat> That's what he's really getting at, that he must die. He is the thing that must die to feed you for you to live eternally. If you're still open to John 6, look at verse 30, 35. Where Jesus makes this connection between him being the bread of life and, and coming to Jesus, believing in Jesus. You, you see that when he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's tying that, right? Belief is what we're talking about. That's how you eat of Jesus. Uh, believing in Jesus is how you eat and drink him. He's, he's teaching that he will die to give your life if you eat and drink him, if you believe in him. Now, we, we, we see it again in verse 51. Look at that. Uh, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. He's not talking about cannibalism. Je Jesus is explaining that salvation is by grace through his sacrifice, through, of, of his life. And so what are the crowds actually walking away from in this moment? Well, from Jesus, from the bread of life, from, from the hope of the gospel. They're walking away from salvation. And, and so then how does Peter answer this question? Right? I've said it ten times already, but I love it. Right? Jesus asked, do you all want to go away as well? And this gets me every time. It sums up why Jesus meant so much to me as a 16-year-old boy looking for, for meaning and still today as a 44-year-old boy making sense of the world that we live in. 
I mean, look at Peter's words in verse 68. Lord, even there we see his confession, right? Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus, Peter means Jesus, we have nowhere else to go. There is no one else like you. No one. No, no one has ever spoke like you. No one ever as mighty and yet as meek as you. No one ever as tough on the prideful and yet so tender to the humble as you. No one has ever done miracles like you have done. No one has ever lived as perfectly as you had lived. No one who is divine like you. No one who can save, my, save me from my sin like you. No, no one who is so capable of rescuing himself from the cross and yet stayed in order to give yourself a, a ransom for many. No one else with the resurrection power that conquers death like you. There is no one else, right? No one else is the true giver of life. No, no one is worthy of your and my worship and devotion and commitment like Jesus. And as, as Peter says, no one else has the words of eternal life. And, and then we hear on Peter's lips a confession of faith in Jesus when he says, we have believed. And we have come to know that you are the Holy One of Israel. <clears throat> right? The belief came first. The absolute knowledge comes second. This is how many come to faith in Christ, right? They, they're asking these deep questions, wrestling with them, and finding that there is no other answer but Jesus. No, no answer that, that actually fits in with the sinful world that we live in and we observe and we see. No, no answer for the guilt that we carry, the, the guilt that no amount of, you know, you be you mantras can, can really wash away. This is also how, how many come back to Jesus. As you know, Peter will, will later deny Jesus. It's not like from this moment forward, Peter is just, you know, the perfect disciple of, by any means. Uh, right? But he comes back to Jesus after betraying him. And, and, and Jesus mercifully receives him. And not only receives him, but restores him fully. And so maybe you yourself are prone to wander. And maybe there are moments in life when, when, when you need to... You know that you need more of Jesus in your life. You need more commitment to Jesus, more resting in Jesus. And maybe that's where you are today. I don't know. If so, maybe you need to pray to the Lord today. Maybe you need to, to get off the fence by answering that question that Jesus is asking in this question. Do you want to go away as well? It's certainly true that the world is not following Jesus around us. People scoff and ridicule the teaching of Jesus as old-fashioned. If you've ever had to tell someone who absolutely does not believe in Christianity that you believe that Jesus is resurrected from the dead, they look at you like you are crazy, right? They disregard the gospel. And again, here Jesus is asking, do you want to go away as well? How will you respond to this question? To whom shall you go? All right? To the one who laid down his life upon the cross. To the one who conquered death by rising from the dead. Jesus is the only one we can go to with hope and in whose arms we, we can find any real meaning in this life, nourishing rest in this life, and eternal salvation in this life. Now I want to close today by reading to you from C.S. Lewis's book uh, called The Silver Chair, and then one more line from, from John chapter 6, uh, simply because I, I believe this will help illustrate well what we've learned today. If you're not familiar with the story, the, the lion here, his name's Aslan, but it's not important for this part, 
Um, he represents Jesus. There's a stream here that represents believing in Jesus, the gospel. Now, <clears throat> there's this girl. Her name is, is Jill. She's entered into this strange world called Narnia, right? This is a fantasy. Uh, she had this friend Eustace that came with her, but Eustace and her have been separated. She finds herself all alone. She's in these woods, and she's been wandering around for quite a long time. If you've ever done that, you might find that you become incredibly thirsty, and that's what's going on with her. Uh, and after searching and searching, she finally finds a stream. She can see it a bit in the distance, only she doesn't rush to it, but stops dead in her tracks in this moment. And now let me just read to you. She stood as still as if she had been turned into stone with her mouth wide open. And she had a very good reason. Just on this side of the stream lay a lion. If I run away, he'll, it'll be after me in a moment, thought Jill. And if I go on, I shall run straight into its mouth. Anyway, she couldn't have moved if she had tried, and she couldn't take her eyes off it. How long this lasted, she could not be sure. It seemed like hours. And the thirst became so bad that she almost felt she would not mind being eaten by the lion. If only she could be sure of getting a mouthful of water first. If you're thirsty, you may drink. For a second, she stared here and there, wondering who had spoken. And then the voice said again, If you're thirsty, come and drink. It was deeper, wilder, and stronger, a sort of heavy golden voice. It did not make her any less frightened than she had been before, but it made her frightened in rather a different way. Are you not thirsty? said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I? C could I? Would, would you mind going away while I do? said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I come? said Jill. I make no such promise, said the lion. I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill. Coming another step nearer, I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. And the lion said, there is no other stream. There is no other stream. There, there's no other savior but the Lord Jesus Christ who died upon the cross and as we are celebrating this Lord's Day morning was resurrected from the grave. He is risen. He is alive. And so if you've been wrestling with that question, to, to whom shall we go? Go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. For as our Lord said in John 6, 40, and this will be our closing, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Jesus, for the Holy One. We, we confess our hearts are prone to wander. They are prone to be easily satisfied by temporal things, by lesser gods that are not gods, by, by what is not eternal. And today we ask that you remind us that there is no one else in all of existence that we can go to for real, lasting, eternal hope and meaning. Lord, you have the words of eternal life. Make us to believe that, to know that, to find genuine rest in the reality that is you. Holy Spirit, please renew our commitments to Jesus. Renew our, our wonder at the gospel. Renew our love for you. May we be able to answer this question with the, 
the certainty of Peter. To whom else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.